In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we believe that God is real, and if we believe that the Bible is God's holy word, and if we believe Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and that he died for our sins, and if we believe that there is a place called heaven where all those who hear the gospel and believe in Christ will one day spend eternity in unimaginable glory, and if we believe there is a place called hell where all those who do not believe in Christ will one day spend eternity in untold agony, if we believe all of these things, then we should want everyone else in the world to know what we know, right? If we believe these things, and they are that important to us as we claim as Christians, then we should truly desire that other people know these things. How, how, what does it say about us if we have a cure for someone and we don't share that cure with them, right? What does it say for us if we have a warning to give and we don't give that warning? Well, I believe that our desire or lack thereof for those who do not know Christ is a gauge of our own spirituality. In other words, if I'm indifferent towards someone else and their eternal destiny, then what does that say about my own faith? What does that say about me if I say, thank you God, you saved me from hell, you saved me from eternal agony, you gave me eternal life through Christ, but I don't really care about the next person and their eternal life. What does that really say? Again, I think it's a gauge for us this morning for maybe where we are spiritually and maybe some things we need and I need to kind of rediscover or rethink about how to live my life for Christ. Spurgeon put it much more bluntly than I just did. Listen to his words. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. That's tough. I hesitate to even echo that phrase because I know there are times in my life as a Christian, and I imagine in many of yours as well, when we don't have that desire or thought process about other people coming to Christ, we get easily distracted, don't we, from the mission that God has called us to do. And so Psalm 67, as we continue our study a summer in Psalms, this short psalm is a reminder for us that we are blessed by God so that we would be a blessing to others. If you have found Psalm 67, let me know by saying word. Let's read it. I'll begin in verse 1. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health or power among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. 
Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. In these seven verses, the psalmist here, it doesn't tell us who the writer is. Some, some believe it's David. Regardless of that, the psalmist here is giving a song or a prayer to God asking for blessing. And so he says, be merciful to us. And as he writes this, we know in context he is speaking here about Israel, God's people there. And, and, but at the same time, we're going to see we can voice this prayer for ourselves. And we do, by the way, sometimes voice prayers like this for ourselves. So what does this prayer say? Let's dive into it. Beginning in verse 1, I want you to see that it is a prayer for God to bless us with his gracious favor. Actually, if you look in verse 1, you might have some notes there in, in some Bibles that will refer you back to Numbers chapter 6. And verse 1 is really an echo of the priestly prayer. God told Moses to tell Aaron and the priests to pray this blessing over God's people, and they did that. Uh, we, we sometimes use this for a benediction at the end of our services uh, as a blessing over God's people. And so when he says here, God, be merciful unto us, be gracious unto us, be loving unto us, be kind to us, be patient to us, be compassionate, be favorable toward us. This prayer is the psalmist saying, God, give us grace, give us mercy, give us blessing. And then what he says at the last part, cause, I love the, the poetry of this, cause his face to shine upon us. It's this idea of God looking on us favorably. Um, I kind of think about an illustration of this as a child may walk up to the parent, and the parent, sometimes as parents, we might have a mean look on our face. We're mad about something, or we're angry about something, or frustrated about something. And sometimes your kid can walk up to you and see that look on your face and be like, I better just wait, right? Sometimes that happens with spouses as well. I see my spouse's face, and I'm like, I'll go in the other room for a little while. So, yeah, I know it's not time to talk to her. But there's other times when my child walks up to me, and I hope this is most of the time, and probably not, that I'm looking kindly on them, favorably on them, and they know they can come and ask me for whatever, right? They may not get it, but they can ask. Um, and so, look what he says. God, cause your face to shine upon us, to look favorably, compassionately upon us. And here's why that's important. Do you know that before you come to Christ, there is a sense in which, according to Scripture, you are an enemy of God? The Bible says, before Christ, we are enemies of God. Paul said that in the New Testament. Also, let me point your attention to Psalms chapter 5, verse 6, when the psalmist wrote, God hates all who work iniquity. What a terrible thought that God who created all things by the voice of his power, that his wrath or anger or holy hatred can be set upon sinners like us. And so when we say, God, look at us favorably, shine upon us, it's the opposite of the wrath of God upon us. And so why can we pray that? Why can we say, God, be gracious, be merciful, be loving, be kindness? Well, 
It's because of this. Jesus Christ is the ultimate demonstration of God's grace toward his people. The only way we can pray this morning, God, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face shine upon us, is because Christ became the sacrifice for us. And God poured out his wrath on Christ so that we would not have to experience that wrath. We get, Christ took our sin and we get his grace. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. And so we pray and we say things like, God, bless us. Well, what are, we, what are we asking to bless us with? There's two different categories I'm going to give you for, for prayer here. First, we pray for spiritual blessings. Or we should. We should pray for spiritual blessings. God, help me in all matters of spirituality. Help me to understand your word. Help me to pray more. Help me to love my neighbor. Help me to be a better, better husband and father. Help me to be more active in my church. Help me to... Um, to help the, the lost or serve the needy. Help me, God, to, to remember the gospel often. Help me to um, cast aside my sin and turn to you and repent regularly. All these different spiritual blessings we should pray for. But at the same time, we know we can pray for earthly blessings. Look in verse 6. In verse 6 here, we see that of Psalm 67 that this likely written during a harvest festival time and it says, then shall the earth yield her increase, speaking there of, of the harvest. And we know throughout Scripture, people prayed for things and thank God for their daily bread, right? So we, we can pray for earthly things, and we should do that. We should pray for earthly things, but we must be careful, right? We must be careful that the things we pray for are things that would bring glory to God and that would cause us to be more holy, not less holy. And so we say things like this, God... Lead me in this way as I purchase this new house or car. Lead me in this way as I, as I do this or that, that, that you might be glorified through it and that it might not dis distract me from you, but that I'll see it as a blessing from you. How many of you at your job would say this morning, I'm about to get a raise this week? How many? Everybody, right? Pretty much everybody. Well, God, I pray for that raise, and I pray that it, when it comes, that I'll use that to be a blessing to others as well, right? We should ask God to give us what makes us most holy and what makes him most glorified. So it's not a selfish thing for the psalmist to say, God, be merciful to us, bless us, cause your face to shine upon us. Because of the next part. In verses 2 through 5, we're going to see a prayer for God to bless us so that others will be blessed. Look at verse 2. He says, bless us so that, so that your way will be known on the earth and your saving power among the nations. I want to break down these next three verses with, with three points. And the first one is, notice God's plan for a covenant people we know according to scripture god has always had a people that he works with works through and we know from genesis 12 god called a man named abraham and said hey i'm going to bless your family it's going to grow and through your family all the nations of the earth will be blessed and then abraham had children his one son was named isaac god made the same promise to isaac isaac through your family 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Isaac had children. One of those was a man named Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to what? Israel. And God made that same promise to Israel. And he said to Jacob, he said, all, through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Really the Old Testament, right, in, in a nutshell, is God working through that people, through their ups and downs, and God working through them, and one day bringing a Messiah from them. That's, that's kind of the Old Testament in a nutshell there. But as we move from the Old to the New Testament, we see through the New Covenant, through Christ and the church, that the promise God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that all nations of the earth will be blessed through you, that promise began to take shape. Because Jesus told his disciples in some of his final words, in Matthew 28, he said, Go therefore and make disciples in Mississippi. Not what it says, not exactly. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them all things that I have commanded you. So that promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that one day all nations of the earth will be blessed, Christ and his disciples laid this foundation, and we are a part, by the way, of that process. Because one day the gospel came to us, and we came to know him. God's plan for a covenant people for a people to save, that includes us who are in Christ. Well, look at verse 2 again. Notice the word way. He says that your way or your will may be known upon the earth. I like this because I think about people, I've, I've read stories and talked to people who are missionaries in other countries especially, and when a missionary goes to other countries, there are things they have to do. Learn a new language sometimes, learn new cultures, learn to eat new foods, learn the customs, um, all these types of things that missionaries have to do. But the missionaries I've talked to, they know this, that though they must make some adjustments in their life, to go and make a difference for Christ, they must preach the ways of Christ, the gospel, God's way, God's will, God's plan. They can't just go over there and and make up their own thing, or just try to um, Americanize people in other countries, make them more like us. No, they, they go to share that God's way may be known upon the earth. Sometimes, uh, I've known some people that are missionaries that do education. Our church supports people like that, that help with a, a college in the Philippines, and they want to teach education there, but through that, they're also trying to share the gospel. We know people overseas that do medical ministry. So they're trying to heal and help people physically with medicine. At the same time, they're preaching Christ that they might uh, come to know him. And so we see here that we ask to be blessed, that we might be a blessing to others. And the way we do that is not by sharing our way and our truth and our will, but God's way and God's truth and God's will. And then the second part of that verse says, Show his saving power among the nations. And so I want us to see and, and maybe grasp better than we've had before a, a desire for other people and even other nations. You know, when, when, John, when Jesus said, John 3, 16, when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the point of that verse 
is that no longer is salvation just for the Jewish people. Now it will spread to the Gentile people. That people from all over the world can be saved. God aims to save a people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. And if God aims to do something, guess what? He's going to do it, right? So God's plan for a covenant people is the first part there. Then notice God's plan for a worshiping people. Why is God going to save people? Why do we care that other people come to know Christ? It's because God has a plan for a worshiping people. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Verse 3, let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Repeatedly, these verses say, God, let the people praise you. May the people praise you. Let them be glad. The point, uh, and this psalm shows us that God's purpose, God's purpose on this earth is that he might be known and praised and loved and feared, that his creation would see him in the way he deserves to be seen. That's why he created the world. That's why he moved through that people of Israel. That's why he moves through the church and leads the church, that more people might become worshiping people. John Piper said, missions exist because the knowledge of God doesn't. Missions exist because the knowledge of God, the praise of God, the enjoyment of God, and the fear of God doesn't exist among the nations. We do missions, we support missions, so that more people will be glad in Christ, knowing Him, loving Him, and having their eternal destiny changed to heaven. Do we believe our God is worthy to be praised? We do, right? We believe that. We come every week and praise Him here together, and I hope we praise Him in other ways as well. But knowing that He is worthy, we want other people to see that worth. Something else about these three verses in 2 through 5. Notice it with me. I'm, I'm sorry, 3 through 5. Let the people praise thee, O God. The audience of praise, the audience of worship is one, right? The God of the Bible is the one true God, and he is the one we call people to worship. Him. Not us, not some strange gods, I believe the psalmist would say. Throw, put aside your strange God and, and Father, uh, make your saving power known among the nations and let the peoples praise you, not anyone else. I did something different this morning. Normally I have some points and then application. Well, I'm moving the application to this point of the sermon. Uh, it'll be next on the screen there. And then I'll have my third point at the end, mixing it up. Application is your sermon in a sentence. We are blessed to be a blessing. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. I mentioned that this is related to possibly a harvest festival. The earth shall yield her increase, shall bring forth her, her crops, if you will. And God, even our own God, shall, shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This week, some of y'all know that Jesse and I took a little trip to St. Louis. First time we'd ever been. I guess it's the first time I've ever been to the Midwest. I didn't really, I didn't really think about the fact I was leaving the South. And so 
everywhere we went, every Uber drive, every waitress, every person we came in contact with, if they heard us talk, they commented on our accent. Mainly Jesse's, I think, but probably mine too. But, and they would say, where are you from? And one, one guy was like, we're like, guess. He's like, Alabama? I was like, close, <laughs> you know. Um, one man was talking to Jesse, and he didn't know. Um, he just said, hey, I hear your accent. Where are, you, where are you from? And she said, guess. And he said, Mississippi. He just guessed it, you know. And then he asked her, he said, you're from Mississippi? She said, yeah. He said, how are the crops doing down there? I was like, are we that country that everybody's a farmer in Mississippi? <laughs> I don't even know what she said, but I was like, like she knows about the crops. She buys her stuff at Walmart. But you said they're good? Yeah, the crops are fine, <laughs> you know. But he was saying they were having a little drought issue where he was from and having some issues there. But, but I thought that was funny that he said, how are the crops? I don't know. But I thought about that reading verse 6. When they praise God for bringing forth the harvest, the increase, I'm thankful we go pick ours up at the store, right? But God shall bless us through the Harvest, and that's, that can be a physical blessing there, but we also know this, uh, this, this passage refers, this, this psalm refers to spiritual blessing, God's ways. And so again, I'm reminded that we are blessed through God that we would be a blessing to other people. I mean, again, that's this, this, this text in a, in a sentence. Remember this, and I've said a few of these things to you before. Remember that the gospel came to you, you heard someone preach the gospel. It might be a parent, grandparent, Sunday school teacher, a pastor, and y'all can probably think of that person. My person was my best friend in elementary school. Who would, and I've told you this before, who would invite me to his house, and I would hear his family pray around the table. I never heard that before. He would take me to church. I would be sitting in the pew. While the preacher was preaching, he would lean over during the sermon, and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you trusted in Christ yet? During the sermon, he's probably 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, that, that age range. The gospel came to me back then. The gospel came to you at some point. But the gospel was never meant to stop with you. It came to you on its way to someone else as well. Does that make sense? The gospel came to me on its way to someone else as well. In that way, we are not a reservoir, right? We are a river. Sometimes I wonder, church, if we, we I know I'm guilty of this, we become more of a reservoir of truth than a river of blessing. Where we want to know God's word, and that's amazing, we should, that should that's where it should all start, from knowing him and knowing his word and knowing the truth of it. And I'm thankful that we have ladies here that are teaching our kids in Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and parents teaching kids and grandparents encouraging and teaching their kids. And we want to know as much as we can, but not just so that we can become a reservoir of truth, right? But that the things we know, the things we know about God, let me say it this way, for the most part, if you know something about God, then someone else should know that as well. Share that with someone else spouses share that with your spouse if you're reading the bible and, and you see something or you hear something in a sermon on the way home today comment with your spouse about that don't just be a reservoir of truth stagnant body of water but become a river of blessing 
So that as you learn things about God, as you ask him to fill your cup, may that cup overflow and may you help others as well with what you know. The gospel is not meant to be hoarded. Don't be a gospel hoarder. If you know the gospel, if Christ has changed your life, not only should you share that, but you should want to share that. You should have a desire to say to someone else, when you get in that situation especially, let me show you, let me tell you what Christ did. He lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death in your place. And if you trust him, he will forgive your sin and give you eternal life. The gospel. This should be convicting, I think, for probably most of us this morning. How many of us this year have recommended restaurants to people? I do that pretty regularly. Check out this restaurant. How many of us have recommended a doctor? Go to a good doctor? Hey, this is a good doctor over here. Y'all should check them out. Or a good movie or a good show. And I hate to use, even use that word recommend, but are we recommending people more restaurants than we're recommending them to turn to Christ for salvation? Kind of convicting to me. And I pray that God would give me spiritual eyes to do better at this. That when the opportunity arises, I can tell someone about Christ. May we recommend, not even recommend, may we implore people to turn to Christ. Action steps. Action steps here. Um, pray for the nations. Number one, I have four of these. Number one, pray for the nations. Pray for those who don't know Christ. Pray for the lost. Um, again, it's, it's good to pray for specific people. I've done this at times where I have one person written in my phone or a name written down somewhere, and I just pray for them. God, would you save them? I know they don't know you. Would you, would you do a work in them? Now, God does all the work, right? God does all the saving, but we can still pray for it, right? Number two, make disciples in your local church. Be a part of making disciples in your local church. Be disciples. Let the church, the people here, as you come week after week, pour their lives into you that you might know Christ more. And in turn, you'll be able to disciple others as well. Make disciples. That's always been a pet peeve of mine. People, and I've seen this especially years ago, that would get so fired up to go on a mission trip, but they wouldn't make disciples in their local church. You know, those should go hand in hand. Number three, support missions. Support people who are out there doing that type of frontline work in the nations. Our church does that. As you give here, a portion of all of our offerings go to support missionary endeavors. Um, some here in Mississippi, some in other countries. Um, really all over the place. Um, and so just know as you give to our church, portions of that money goes to missions. And the fourth one is, is to go. That could mean just to the person that you're thinking of that you might need to share Christ with, that person you know that needs Christ. It could be a mission trip. Some of you have been on mission trips even recently. That's awesome. If God gives you the opportunity, if God leads you to that, then, then go. Go and, and take the gospel to the nations. Our last thing, which is my third point, kind of moved it to the end. I want you to see God's plan for a diverse people. Verse 
4. Oh, let the nations be glad. Again, I refer you back to the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I refer you to the Great Commission of Matthew 28. I refer you to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Christ told the disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And when I say God has a plan for diverse people, I'm reminded that we think the gospel is very commonplace. We tell the gospel almost like it's just something we talk about, all, which it is, something we talk about all the time. But sometimes I think we say it without the maybe excitement or joy we should have in it. Do you know that many people in this world, many people, rarely ever hear about Jesus? You know, we kind of picked with the kids this morning about not knowing who Jesus was, but all those kids, if you sat there, they, would, they could tell you a little bit about Jesus, right? They know he's God's son. They know he died on the cross for our sins. You can go to many people in this world and say, who is Jesus? And I mean grown people. And they would say, who is, who is that? Who are you talking about? You don't know about Jesus? He, he, he's God's son. He came to earth. And they, they would be like, what? Who? Look at these statistics. Again, I found these online. I think they're accurate, but it's hard to always tell. But the latest count I saw that there was 8 billion people in the world. A lot of people. I can't even imagine what that, how many people that is. Here's how many people are in unreached, unreached groups. 3.4 billion people people when I say unreached that means they live in a place where there is little or zero gospel message that's a lot of people I did the math on this 3.4 billion people is equivalent to the population of the United States multiplied by 13 a lot of people these people live in areas with, with little or no gospel exposure can you imagine that? How many of us have multiple Bibles in our house? I got so many Bibles, I keep a few just here at the church. Some of y'all keep them in your car, you keep them in the house. There are these places with no Bible anywhere in sight. This, to me, is not controversial whatsoever, and we've discussed it here several times amongst our church. What happens to people who... Do not ever hear about Jesus, but they die. Where do they spend eternity? And the answer is hell. It has to be. Because if they could find, if them not knowing Christ gets them into heaven and gets their sins forgiven, then we're saying there are more than one way to get to heaven. But we proclaim here there's how many ways to heaven? One, Christ. If those people could, die, could live to be 100 years old, never hearing of Christ, die and still go to heaven, then missions would not exist. Because if we go preach to them, that would be the worst thing to possibly do. <laughs> because they're already set, right? And so I just share that with us to remind us, and I need this, I promise you, as much as anybody, to take off the blinders that we sometimes have and realize while we sit here in the comfort of our homes and our beautiful, comfortable church, 
There are billions of people who've never even heard the name Jesus. And meanwhile, in America, churches are settled in comfort, distracted by our treasures, or engaged in conflict, just even within the church at times, when all these people need to hear the name of Christ. So my prayer is, if, if it need be, that God would give us a little discomfort or take our attention off our treasures or let us see that conflict is not the most important thing. And that as a church, what can we do, right? What can we do? Well, that we would pray for the lost and that we would make disciples in our local church, that we would continue to give for missions as we do and continue to hopefully up that in the future, and that we would, if that opportunity arrives, that we would go. There is a promise of God, and it will stand. One final verse in Revelation 7, 9. John wrote in Revelation, he said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. We believe in a sovereign God, don't we? And we believe His will to save all His lost sheep will be done. But we also believe this, God uses His church, His people, as a tool to show Christ to those lost sheep. And we want to be a part, true believers desire to be a part of God's plan to redeem his lost sheep. And I pray God would help us be a part of that. I'll leave you with one final quote. This is from a man who is a part of a missionary, um, missionary movement. I think there's one back, and one back before that maybe. He said, most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose for the world he came to redeem. Hold it right there. So many of us are looking for things. We want more of something and so often, we don't know what it is. We can't find it. Maybe it's that God wants you to be a little more active in the, His purpose for this world. Or like, if I could just buy this thing or get this promotion or get this new thing, maybe our, the thing we're lacking is, God, let me be a part of your purpose, a bigger part of your purpose. Next. Fame, pleasures, and riches are but husks and ashes. In contrast with a boundless and abiding joy, of working with God for the fulfillment of His eternal plans. Those who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. Let's pray.